Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In today's podcast, I chat to Anel Bosman, Group Managing Executive at Nedbank CIB, the first woman to hold such a senior position ever in South African banking. Anel was promoted to this position early on in April 2020 during tight COVID lockdown. In October, Nedbank held an online event for their C-suite female clients who are CEOs, COOs and CFOs to get to know Anel better. I had the privilege of interviewing her after presenting which jacket are you wearing now to this group in which I wear five different jackets and share some important lessons learned from each as I built three different careers and one brand. Anel, in turn, talks about what different shoes mean in her life and career, a lovely analogy that every woman will relate to as she reaches out for growth and success. There is some rich inspiration in this conversation. Nikki, I think that the fact that your high school blazer still fits you is a tremendous feat, (laughs) okay? And I would be happy with that. But ladies, I must share something with you that you don't know. Anel is not only a phenomenal leader and an absolute powerhouse, she has unique, exquisite taste in shoes. Now, one of the things that I used to miss during lockdown when I worked from home was the mystery and curiosity of wondering what pair of shoes is Anel going to show up in tomorrow? So while it is jackets for Nikki, for Anel, it is definitely shoes. Thank you, Muleba. And yes, it is definitely shoes for me. And I brought a variety to show you. And I think one of the reasons I love shoes is because unlike Nikki, I don't have to worry because if they're going to fit me in the morning or not, they always fit. But yes, I love my shoes and I collect them as I travel. And I want to show you what I brought. I think shoes give me the wonderful opportunity to bring some uniqueness and something about our feminine side into the business. But there's also a little bit of a rebel in there against that white shirt and the navy pants that uh, Maleba referred to. I believe you need to bring something different to the corporate wardrobe. So I'm going to show you some of my shoes, my black shoes that makes me feel like I'm floating because their heels are made out of perspex. My black and white shoes, because I'm still in a corporate, and I bought them in Barcelona, so whenever I wear them, they have these incredible memories for me. Then there are the shoes that I bought online with the flowers, and I must say, when they arrived, it took me about three months of courage before I wore them, because they are very, very loud. My Green Friday shoes that are just so nice, and I always wear them with my jeans on a Friday, Oh, Nikki, you also sneaked in a pair here <laughs> because you will notice that uh, mine are not really high heels, but uh, you look very stylish in yours. And then I think the pair of shoes that you probably don't expect is my hiking boots. And they have two very specific meanings in my life. The first one is they represent freedom. You can walk and walk and walk, and you can think and you can be mindful, and it is fun, and you see lots of things. And I think for me it is 
step by step until nothing matters but the next step. And that is what walking is around. But they also represent perseverance because those shoes have been to the Himalayas and they had to cross a few passes. And I think what it teaches you is that you can continue even if you are more tired than what you've ever been. Mm. And I think to me they represent, and I think about them, even though I don't wear them to the office, that um, you must do what is required. And that is sometimes more than your best. But those shoes can take you places and make you do things that you never thought you can do. And that to me is what my hiking boots actually represent. Oh, Anel. I need to go and relook at my shoe wardrobe for sure, but I absolutely love your quirky shoes. And you know, the thing is that you've made a statement and I think women need to make a statement. We need to own our story. We need to mm. own our jackets. We need to own our shoes. We need to own the journey. So often there's imposter syndrome that comes along. Do you ever suffer from imposter syndrome? Of course, of course, we all do. Why? Why do we suffer from imposter because syndrome? Because I, I do as well. Yeah, but I think as women, um, the one thing that a very interesting study has shown is that we turn up with more experience but less confidence and much more humility into a work environment. And I think that gives you the imposter feeling from time to time. But that's the day that you think, okay, I wish I could go to work with my hiking boots today because that's how you feel you're strong and full of courage and you can actually do anything but we all have those moments absolutely so this time last year um i was nominated as a woman with drive and you are a woman with drive and it was very interesting because all three women who received this award we all had to stand up and give a speech impromptu and all of us felt like imposters we thought why are we getting this why what does your appointment in this really incredible position as a woman, being the first woman to be appointed as a head of CIB in the country, how, how does it help other women? I think it's a pity that we still need to talk about a woman being appointed into such a role. Yeah. But it does show towards progression, and it does show that we are making strides to be sitting at the table, if I can actually use that. I think Jane Fraser being appointed as the CEO of Citibank, the first mega bank, is absolutely incredible. Mm -hmm. And what that will do for women and the awareness around us will be life-changing. However, it is the responsibility of each of us in a leadership position with the influence of, of change that we can have and control to make sure that we take other women on the journey with us. And I think that, to me, is one of the purposes of being in this role. Mm, absolutely. And what do you think women bring to the table that is different to what men bring to the table? And I am not somebody who believes in it's men or women. I think yeah. it's together. I think we create strength together. But what is it that we bring to the table that is different? Sure. While you were doing your, your speech, I was actually listening about the parent-child role. And it reminded me that mammals have been around for 50 million years. And the role of men and women and parent and child is older than flowers have grown or birds have flown. And we're not going to change that simply because we're walking through the doors of a corporate office. So we're bringing something very different. And as you say, 
very complementary. But I think the big thing is to bring it with authenticity. Be who you are and own it. Step into it. And actually, you know, a little bit of that where I spoke earlier about the hesitation is jump. Put on those boots and jump even before you're ready because that is um, what often keeps us back. Mm. So you remind me of a, of a saying, to be more you. Mm. Don't change it to something else. Bring more of you to the table. So mining yourself and mining those gifts is so hugely important. There's something that I think women do differently to men when it comes to achieving something. How do you celebrate your success? Do you have a particular way of celebrating an achievement or success, even little everyday successes? You know, you were talking oh. with your shoes to keep walking. Oh. Even if it's baby steps, you've got to keep walking. But I think women are sometimes guilty of not taking the time to stop and celebrate whatever it is you've done today or where you've reached before we push on to the next thing. Absolutely. I think we are extremely difficult taskmasters. On ourselves. On ourselves. Yeah. And we're very critical of who we are and what we achieve. But, you know, now that my children are grown up, I think the celebrations come a little bit easier <laughs> than what it did before. But it is to take that time just to do something special. And it doesn't have to be extravagant extravagant, whether it is sitting in your garden and um, having a glass of wine, tea with your friends, just make sure that you stop and think and reflect. And like you, I like to make notes of what I have done, maybe what I could have done better for the day, but it's very important to have that self-reflection, but also just to be in yourself and be proud of what you've done before. And it doesn't have to be a physical um, celebration. You can just put your head on the table, on the pillow, and smile and say, that was a good day. Mm. I did it. I, I did, did it. that. Yes. And I guess it's the I, and what we as women suffer from is when we say I, we feel we're being selfish. Yeah. And something for Women's Day this year that I've, I've started doing for myself, which I've shared with many women, is to stop when I achieve something and ring a bell. I moved house recently and I found a bell in a box and I've put it on my desk. And if I've struck a deal or got a new booking or just had a satisfying day, I pick up the bell now and I ring it. And it's a very visceral thing when that bell mm. rings because you feel it in your cells. And even though it's just, you know, 30 seconds, it says mm. something to my biology that something happened. And I think we need to have a little ritual, maybe. Um, mm. I think if you had a ritual of buying shoes for every time you succeeded at something, you would have no room in your house. <laughs> no, fortunately, I don't do that. But I think my ritual is very similar to yours with the senses. I, uh, those who've seen me on video conferencing will realize I love to put flowers in the frame. I just think it is so feminine and so different. And I can do something special with them every week. And then um, I light a scented candle. Lovely. Because it's just the senses of everything around you that reminds you of who you are and to ground you in that moment. Yeah, Absolutely. it is. It's, it's, that, it's that anchoring yourself. Because mm. we 
we wear many hats, as I say, many jackets, many shoes. We have many different roles, very distinct roles, and we're juggling many balls in the air. And sometimes we have to catch those balls and hold on to them for long enough to experience the satisfaction or the moment, even if it's your child, to hold them for close enough. Close, hold them close enough for long enough to smell them and for them to smell you. You said senses. Um, mm. We are multisensory, and I think that's the thing we must not, never forget is that multisensory nature. And, wow, who knew you'd climb the Himalayas? <laughs> My goodness. I didn't either. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh, that just, that's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. Have you ever taken a sabbatical? Uh, the longest I've been away was on a Himalayan trip, which lasted 18 days of um, tenting. And I think that is a sabbatical on steroids because there's no cell phone reception. Um, you live out of a duffel bag that can weigh no more than 14 kilos. And it really reminds you of how little you need. It's incredible what you pack in that bag and that you are good for for three weeks. But then I have also been so privileged to go to Harvard for two, for two months. And that is like a sabbatical. Even though you work hard, you're very far removed from, from home. And I think, um, you know, the experience that I reflected on while you were talking, seeing yourself through other people's eyes and not wearing the jacket that you normally wear, the one thing about going to Harvard for me opened my eyes around how other people could see me as leader. And that was mm. incredible. Mm. Yeah. When I was talking about a baptism by fire, uh, did that bring up anything for you? What have your sort of lessons, big lessons been around when things were maybe not comfortable? Because we know when you're not comfortable, you're learning. Absolutely. I think uh, one of the most strange times for me was when I walked into a dealing room and I was the only woman. Everybody else were... Um, administrators and I was the only woman and I had to first tell them to stop smoking because my clothes smell like smoke because in those years you could smoke and then I had to to learn to stand my man not only in the dealing room but in the environment of negotiation and that was tough I must say that was a big learning curve with all the biases And um, to such an extent that I actually once made a call and said, I will not be able to change your biases and I'm out of here. And, um, you know, you learn a lot through those things. Mm, What you've just said brings something to mind for me. One of the many, many lessons in self-awareness that I've received since becoming a widow has shown me, because I was married to my husband for 26 years, Mm. we knew each other for 28 years, so I started seeing myself very much through his eyes. And when you have two incomes, and you know, we were pretty much earning the same, but interestingly, now I'm the breadwinner, the sole breadwinner, Mm. I am standing my ground with regard to my own value, and I am far less negotiable. I feel that Women are often very negotiable in terms of salary, in terms of, you know, if you've got your own business, you'll let people negotiate, especially if there's another salary in the wings that's supporting the home. The minute that salary disappeared, I stood my ground, stopped being negotiable, and it's amazing. You know, what's very interesting is that women are actually better negotiators than men, especially when you negotiate on behalf of somebody else and not yourself. 
So when you walk into those negotiations on your salary or something for yourself, think about it as having somebody else's mandate and not your own, because that's incredibly empowering. But it is quite different and interesting that women negotiate in that way. Yeah, and if we actually all, even if you're employed by a company, if you actually see yourself as Brand Me Inc., if you start operating as an intrapreneur, not an entrepreneur, Mm. because then you'd be outside the organization, but as an intrapreneur, you start making decisions very differently. Because if you're building a brand, which we should all be doing, every day you are taking a a step closer to building your brand of one, Mm. you have to think about this because it impacts on you. Um, So when you take decisions as the CEO of Brand Me, Inc., it's a different space to be making a decision from. Absolutely. And I think my branding, as you can see through my shoes, is definitely um, dare to be different. But... Um, you, you referred to it from the CEO decisions, is you have to do it with incredible moral standards and values. Now, I think what is quite interesting with that statement is, given the complexity of our world, it's not a set of rules. It is a set of principles. Because the world is too complex to be able to, to apply specific rules to it. But I think my branding is the Definitely the two. You can't only dare to be different because you you can make big mistakes in that way. And what are your guiding principles? Uh, I'm inspired by um, creativity, absolutely. Um, Whether it is the creativity of a unique solution to a complex problem, and that can be in design, it can be at home, it can be in art, but it can also be in how you build a business. A simple solution to a very complex problem. But you can only arrive at that with the right people around you. And that's where the inspiring part is, to be surrounded by people that can help you fulfill fulfill that. I think that is incredible. Mm. So is collaboration a value for you? Hugely, hugely. I believe um, you have to be part of the team. When the, when, when the going gets tough, you have to roll up your sleeves. You cannot sit on the side. Um, I think what is also very interesting is um, we have done all this personality analysis, and usually I'm a visionary and an enthusiast. But when we get into a crisis, I go, okay, guys, the active controlling is going to come out now, and we're going to roll up our sleeves and we're going to do it. But I warn people that I'm being part of the team. And and I think that's actually where collaboration comes from. You cannot sit on the side and and talk about it. Mm. And tell us about your family and how this fits in, because you said you've got grown children. So how many children? How old are they? And how has... How have you managed motherhood while you've built this Mm. stellar career? I think um, it is always difficult to manage those two, but I had an incredible supporting structure. My mom played a really big role in in my kids and staying there. Um, So that has been incredible. My sons are now in Scotland studying, so that is quite different. But, you know, what is quite interesting is the quality of the WhatsApp calls relative to the... Casual (laughs) conversations that you used to have at home. They really focus on you. And we have this rule 
that um, the pocket money is not paid over until there is a proper, proper conversation oh, at the I end of that. each month. I <laughs> so. love that. I'm, I'm going to take that and, and tuck yeah. that away as a piece of wisdom. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. Yeah. And um, I know we chatted the other day and you said when your son was 10, you took him to the, the dealing room. Yeah, I did. Um, I mean, what was that like for him to see? Because it's very important that children actually go to the office and see where you mm. work. Otherwise, it's this big mystery. Yeah. I think um, a lot of what we do actually rub off on our children. And uh, two things stuck to me um, over the years as I took them to the office. The first thing is when I took my 10-year-old home that afternoon and we were having supper, he said to me, I can now understand why you never complain about the supper. You just eat it. <laughs> Long, hard day and busy. So that, that is the first thing. But then when he went to high school, he um, had to do an interview with the principal. And at that point in time, I was the head of risk. So the principal said to him, what does your mother do? And I thought, oh, dear, this is going to be quite interesting. He said, well, my mother's job is to look after the capital of the bank and make sure that there are no unnecessary losses. And I thought, hmm, through osmosis, actually, your children learn a lot. And I think as a, as a career woman, you need to weigh the two. Are you next to the cricket field? Maybe not. But you are also exposing them to lots of other things. And I think it goes to your, your list. Um, there are pros and cons to all of these things. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's so important for our children, boys or girls, to see us in action, to see mm. us carving out a path for ourselves. The mm. art is how can we be truly present when we're with our children? Because our kids actually don't mind if we work and they don't mind if we're busy. But when yeah. we're with them, they want more of our happiness and less of our stress. Absolutely. And the art yeah. is in how to be truly present when we're with them. Mm. What sort of preparation did you do before you got home at night? I mean, you've, you've had a busy, yeah. busy days over the years. How did you get back into being the mother? So I was so privileged at some point that somebody gave me a birthday gift with music training. And part of the training was to identify your favorite music and actually write down the mood that goes with it and analyze the mood. But then, however, what you can do is, after a while, play the music and step into that mood. So the, the, the barrier between work and home for me was the music in the car. I love my music in the car. So yes. you, you created a transition space yes. where you switched and you flipped, which is really important because otherwise we just carry work into, into home yeah. and then we're never truly present and then our kids get very demanding because we're not giving them the time. And I think that's the most difficult part about work from home is how do you create that barrier? Currently for me it is work clothes during the day and then I put on my tracksuit pants when I'm done, just to get that physical move from the one into the other world. I think it's important. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I, I have tried. I have tried presenting. Now, when I present from my virtual studio, my, my home office, I actually dress. You know, obviously, on the top half I dress, but I actually do put my high heel shoes on. And I know my brains are not in my shoes. But mm. it makes the difference. It's a mindset shift. You get into that mode, that role Absolutely. of being efficient, of leading, of being decisive. And then, mm. like you, I change into the tracksuit and the schliffy clothes just exactly. to get that, that shift. Yeah. But I think something 
that has happened during COVID with children, because I'm sure many of the women on this webinar have children who are also doing school from home, etc. I think children have had because they watch TV, this very idealized view of what work looks like. Yeah. And, you know, it's lawyer, doctor, fireman, policeman, and all the rest. And they get those highlights in the movies of what a job looks like. And I think that their bubble about work might have been burst during COVID because yeah. all they see us doing is sitting behind a computer, having virtual conferencing calls and not doing anything terribly sexy. Because, you know, that little top bit of what people actually see, of what our children think and what people would normally see us do, it's not the backroom stuff. It's only maybe 10 or 20% of our job that is the sexy part. The rest mm -hmm. is like an iceberg, you know, and it's full of admin, pushing papers, um, dealing with stuff. Mm -hmm. Most of our jobs, all of us, it's very unsexy. Do you think our children have... You know, kind of got a bit of a wake-up call. But oh, work is work. Absolutely. Work. <laughs> absolutely. I think spouses also did because they probably see the glamorous part of the, the role as opposed to others. But I think the interesting thing is in the beginning of the lockdown, they said um, your dog thinks that you're staying home to be with them. And your cat thinks, loser, she must have been fired. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that is just so lovely. Um, but, yeah, you know... Your boots are a testament to the mm -hmm. fact that work takes a lot of work. Work is not called work for nothing. Yeah. There are going to be long hours and long days. And a lot of what we have to do, we just have to do because that's what our jobs are predicated on. Mm -hmm. um, so how do, you, how do you keep filling your cup? How do you mm. keep rebooting and re-energizing yourself? And I think a lot of people right now are feeling various forms of fatigue that we didn't realize existed, mm. from Zoom fatigue to isolation fatigue, you know, all of those yeah. things. How, how do you keep getting up in the morning and keep so vibrant and, yeah. and authentically who you are? I think two levels. The one is the purpose of what we're doing. I mean, there is something incredibly valuable and being able to be a bank right now. It is hard work and it's a tough environment, but we also help to keep the building blocks of the economy intact. We help businesses, we help the, um, the public with payments and things. So for me, there's an incredible purpose when I get up in the morning to think that is what we're actually doing. But from a resource point of view, in a, at a personal level, I mean, I've, I've, I've spoken about walking. <laughs> as soon as we could go outside our gates, I, I resumed my walking, and that is absolutely a way to do it. I've also mentioned my music that I love listening to, and I garden a bit. That is a new so hobby that I. I've taken up. And listen, you haven't got, you haven't got no, the gardening shoes here. I've no, got don't. gardening shoes that color, <laughs> bright green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are not my gardening shoes. I, I love them too much for that, yeah, but absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. find for me getting out in the garden, just mm. grounding yourself, walking barefoot on the grass, yeah. touching a tree, picking a tiny little bunch of flowers and putting it in a tiny little crystal vase mm -hmm. next to your bed is one of those little moments of joy. And mm. I think how we package what does joy look like, what does satisfaction look like, it doesn't have to come in a big box wrapped in a ribbon. It's tiny little moments, tiny little incidents mm. in the day where we stop Look, breathe, breathe it in, breathe mm. in that little experience and file it away 
in that little joy bank. I think we miss the point sometimes because we think things must look big and sexy and yeah. shiny for it to feel good or for it to have meaning. Yeah, and I also think we need to be very deliberate about those joys. One for me is a warm and dry towel. Oh, And yes. I remind myself every time that I use the towel of just how special it is. And it doesn't cost a lot of money and it is simple, but it really grounds you for the day to say, okay, I've done something nice. My other one is drinking my coffee outside in the mornings. Joburg's still quiet, barefoot. It's really nice. You, yeah. you need to make them very deliberate and bank them every day. Well, in a way, your coffee is your ritual. Yeah. I have a friend who gets up at 4.30 every morning, goes for a, a run because she's a runner. I wish I was a runner. But she says she watches the sun rise every morning. And, and that's quite an interesting mm. one because when things get rough, the interesting thing is that the sun still comes up every yeah. day and the sun still goes down every night. And it is a reminder that life does go on, even if you've been sideswiped by something, even if it's not going according to plan, it still carries on. And we still have to take those baby steps forward every day, yeah. as long as we keep moving, keep connecting and keep walking, even yeah. if it means putting on those boots. <laughs> yes, exactly. Sometimes that's what you need because you can go through the water and you can go over the rocks and they're fine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we do. Yeah. But Anel, you are such an inspiration. And thank you for traveling the journey that you've traveled, yeah. for wearing all the different jackets, for wearing all the different hats, mm. juggling all the different balls, and for sharing these beautiful shoes with us thank today. You. Um, you're an absolute inspiration, and I'm going to hand over to Malebo. Thanks, Nikki. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you, Anel. Ladies, now that we have heard from the lovely women next to us, we'd like to give you an opportunity to ask questions and maybe comment on what you've heard. For those of you who haven't already done so, if you look at the top left of your screen, you will be able to click on the link that opens a window where you can post your questions. Please don't forget to include your name. So, we've got a comment from Daisy Mutomi. Daisy is from Batu Batu Trust, and Daisy says it's actually a comment more than a question. Thank you for a beautiful presentation thought-provoking and certainly uplifting. Just what I needed at this very moment. Thank you very much. Daisy's asked for the a recording of the webinar and we'll see what we can do about that, Daisy. The next question comes from Bhavna Ganda, who is from NetBank, and it's to you, Anel. Um, Bhavna says, Anel, what is the one piece of wisdom you wish you had, you had known had or had been told at the beginning of your career journey? Sure, Bhavna. Have fun. I think that is actually the part that we neglect most often mm. because we get so focused on the task at hand um, that we don't stop and actually celebrate mm. and have fun at the office because we spend so many hours here a day that I think if I should have fo start focusing on that a lot earlier. And now I must say I agree with you. So pre-COVID, we actually had a bell on the floor, um, which uh, was started by Terence Sabia before he moved on to Africa regions. And the idea was that every time there was a successful transaction, mm -hmm. somebody would go and walk around the fifth floor ringing that bell. And it was the team celebration, but it was also a way of the team to have 
a little bit of fun in a yeah. generally quite tense environment. Thank you, Anel. Um, the next question comes from Julinda. Julinda is from the Western Cape government. And I guess uh, the question can be answered by both yourself and Nikki. The question is, what do you do when the imposter syndrome never really goes away? How do you show each other as women that it is doable? Well, I would go back to the word collaborate and putting together masterminds of other women because women actually need to mirror back at women that we're okay. You know, it's one thing for your husband or your partner to tell you you're okay, but to actually tell each other, to validate each other. Women are not very good at validating each other because we see each other as competitors. And we have to break through that and realize that if we actually get on the same page, we will go further for longer together. So that, for me, is hugely important. Men have been putting mastermind networking groups together for years. They do it automatically. They do it at the bar. They do it on the golf course, but they actually do it formally as well. And they give each other a leg up. Women don't do it enough. And we should be cross-pollinating into each other's networks and sharing our best practice with each other. And we don't. And that's something that COVID, interestingly, has shown me. The first people to set up mastermind groups in my speaking fraternity were the men. No women set them up. We were invited, and interestingly, we added the most value. Why did we not start our own? Don't know. Isn't that interesting? I think that's the imposter syndrome, and that's because we see each other as competition. Because women are quite ruthless, actually. We are. So we've got to get beyond that and see that we can create a bigger pie together. Yeah, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think to, to be surrounded by a good network is absolutely the way to go. For me, that's quite difficult because I'm a quiet person. But what I do is I make sure that I'm connected to people who have incredible networks. And go. I can call on those networks as opposed to necessarily um, maintaining all those, those connections myself. But I think the other very interesting thing is um, the inner critic. We all need to do work on the inner critic because that is who is actually speaking when you feel the imposter syndrome. And um, there are many books and many techniques to do it, but I think we all need to find a way to just make her quiet a bit and say, listen, okay, hold on. There's also the confident me that needs to have a turn to speak up because yeah. she has a very loud voice. And she's there all along. Yeah. And something that I'm doing, and you've probably done it too, Anel, is I use The Artist's Way, the book by Julia Cameron, and she talks about the morning pages. Mm -hmm. And it's a phenomenal exercise to do where you literally show up on the page. You don't have to be a writer. And you yeah. just let whatever's in your head come out. And you do this first thing in the morning before anything. And even if you've got nothing to say to yourself, you just write, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to write. It's amazing how cathartic that is. Or if something's really irritated you, write it down. And you don't criticize the way you write, how you write. And you never have to read these pages again. You just get it out of your head. Because if you can clear space in your head and your heart from all the negatives, mm -hmm. there's room for the positives to yeah. come up. It's almost like they're a cap on the positive. Yeah. They're pushing the positive down. So let the negative come out, then your positive can come out to play. So that's an exercise that yeah. uh, our ladies can go and do just like that. Uh, another thing that I do with a group of friends is um, 
when we, it is our birthdays, we have a circle of life. And you need to bring a poem or something that you've written or an object or anything that reflects how you see the other person. What you see in them, that's quite special. And I must say, it's a very emotional, emotional thing to listen to it and receive it. But it is incredible when you realize how other people see you. And that's one of the things I really tre treasure. And we do a lot of effort with each other's circles because you know the value of that. Yeah, that's lovely. And there's another thing I think that's linked to that. The minute we achieve something, we don't sit for long enough to enjoy it before we raise our bar again. Mm. And I think with women, we have a little list a little checklist. I'm a checklist queen. Are you a checklist queen? <laughs> Absolutely. So I have my checklist and I go, done. And the minute it's done, you're on to the next thing. You don't sit and go, that was good. No. <laughs> so I, I'm very becoming very aware of that, that we need to sit for long enough to experience a sense of satisfaction mm -hmm. at where we find ourselves now. Mm -hmm. And I think that word satisfaction is very missing in our vocabulary. That's what grounds us and can help us get rid of that imposter syndrome mm -hmm. because we feel satisfaction enough to have that knowingness that we are truly good at what we do, yeah. you know? Exactly. Thank you, Anel and Nikki, for that. Um, the next one is really more of a comment than a question. It's from Sulufelo Pilani from the MTN Group. Um, here's what Sulu has to say. Thank you, ladies, for a beautiful presentation. Nikki, the last jacket was the hardest. I'm still trying to figure this new life without my mom, who was my pillar of strength. But thanks for the words of encouragement. And Sulu, thank you for the courage that you've expressed in sharing this with us. We've got time for one last question, which is from Ilana uh, Nedbank. Ilana says, um, how do you retain your sense of self in the reality, in the really difficult moments of, of your career? And I think that's relevant to both of you as well. Hmm. Oh, you want to take that first? Yeah. <laughs> um, the first thing I think is I have this song from Pearl Jam that is just breathe. Just breathe. When it's really difficult, that is what you can do. But I think my second way of coping is I surround myself with the best possible team that I can to solve that problem. And that, to me, is really the way that I approach things that looks almost too big to, to get over. Mm. I had an experience about two years ago when I woke up early in the morning to get to a corporate speaking gig. And I remember looking at my bed and... I was a widow at that point, and thinking, I don't have domestic help today, I don't have a husband. If I don't make my bed today, nobody's going to know. And I went, you know, I'm going to make my bed because what we do every day, all of us, is we bring order to chaos. Mm -hmm. The world is full of chaos. Every day is a catastrophe in our lives because it's always going to be full of change. Mm -hmm. And we might feel inadequate, but it starts with those little things that boost us. Just like making your bed, getting dressed for success, mm -hmm. tiny little things that, that build you up to that point where you can start your day feeling like you own your day. That you need to choose to own the road. I think that's mm -hmm. the thing, is we need to actually step up 
and say, I own this road. This is my road. And you make the path by walking on it. It doesn't matter what path, whether it's a new job, whether it's becoming a widow, whether it's living with an illness, we walk the path we make the path by walking on it. Mm. Our steps, yes, we might be following in the steps of some amazing women who've gone before us, amazing people who've gone before us, but if we're not brave enough to take the steps, even if we're scared. And when I went into that direct selling situation, completely new career, where I was doing legacy work, sewing into family lives, and I, it actually filled my heart with so much joy and possibility but it was overwhelming I wanted to change the world mm. and I went to my first training session to lead this team and I was so full of possibility I went back it got got to my car in the basement and I burst into tears absolutely burst into tears because it was so overwhelming this mm. huge task I'd taken on and my dreams were so big and I suddenly froze and I went how am I going to do this? In fact, what's the first step was my question to myself. Mm. Out of all these things I want to do, what do I do first? And I sat and cried and I knew this was a T-junction. I'm either going to go up to the CEO and ask her for help to help me choose my first three steps, or I'm going to go home and never, ever do this. And it was one of those distinct moments where I was so tempted to run. And I went back upstairs, knocked on her door. I said, do you have a minute? She said she did. And I burst into tears. <laughs> and I have to say, until my husband's death, I've not been a crier. But I burst into tears. I was vulnerable in that situation. I said, I really want to do this and I want to do it well. But I'm so overwhelmed. Can you just help me define the first three steps? And she said, with pleasure. And I never looked back. And sometimes it's to step back and maybe sit down with somebody and say, can you help me just define my first step? And then you're off. Mm -hmm. So once again, it's collaboration and it's not weakness. It's actually mm -hmm. strength mm -hmm. to actually call on someone and say, can you just help me get clear? Mm -hmm. And we're in this lovely season of spring and bloom, you know, with things are crystal clear. The colors are so crisp. Maybe that's a reminder to get crystal clear. Mm -hmm. And if you're not, Maybe just ask a friend or a colleague for that help. Um, it's, it's courage. Mm -hmm. That's courage. Nikki, I have one sentence for you. Get out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> so I went through your worksheet and I thought about, and I went through it and, and the last section asks the question around what wisdom has traveled with you through time? I've heard courage. I've heard ownership. I've heard making a choice. And I, I, I spent quite a bit of time trying to think of how to, how to summarize the point. And, and really for me, it's around, you can either be bitter or better as a result of your circumstances. And your attitude is always going to be up to you to change your circumstances and to always remind yourself that you have a choice. And the fact that I'm constantly creating my own reality and my reality is built into my thoughts. So I must constantly remember of the power that I have. So, ladies, what you think you become, what you feel you attract, what you imagine you create. Thank you so much to the amazing ladies that were in attendance today. I hope that today was as valuable to you as you are to us. 
please send through your comments, questions, and topic suggestions to info at nickybush.com. Don't forget to share the Win at Work and Life podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too. 